in the first place? I don't know if I did, uh, Ian. <laughs> I kind of fell into it because I went to yeah. Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar, but on this weekly podcast, I chat with the true rockstars, my fabulous guests and chums that I've met on my journey from techie to CMO to share their marketing street knowledge. If you like the show, come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'll include links to me, my guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com. And we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. It's Saturday the 22nd of April. I hope you've had a great week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week in the marketing studio, Jeff Clark and I are inspired by a nomination for the Rockstar CMO Swim Pool. B2B influencer marketing expert Rachel Miller returns after being on show four. And I wind down the week with Robert Rose and the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, the Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark, our weekly dose of marketing street knowledge from our resident rockstar CMO, strategy advisor, and former Forrester Research Director. Hello, Ian. Welcome Hello, to the Jeff. studio. <laughs> Hello, mate. How are you? I'm doing well. A beautiful spring day on our side mm. of the pond, and I'm looking out your back window. Looks like you have a sunny day there. <laughs> Is that true? Well, Could it be? It's it, it's slightly deceiving the angle of that. <laughs> Was it a floodlight in been... your backyard? <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been raining, and uh, but I think it's going to clear up and it's going to be fine. So I think yes, the bright blue sky you can see is what's coming. I think so. Awesome. So, but it is a bit of a spring day, and that we have sunshine and showers for sure. But I yes, wonder what, so, uh, what the listeners who listen to like this one in the winter and they're like, oh, we're talking about a beautiful <laughs> spring day. And they're like, how old was this one? Was this episode? <laughs> I know. Well, it does rather. I mean, we do tend to talk about evergreen topics. So we never talk about the news or right? not on purpose. It's just the nature of our conversation. Isn't right. it? So I think. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's up to the listener to say. I think the content probably stands the test of time, but not our weather reports. <laughs> In the tunes, the music always stands the test of time. Yes, the music definitely stands the test of time. All right, so we, uh, anyway, I'm supposed to be cracking on because when we were preparing for this, we know we've got a big topic to cover here. And um, and so that was the weather. Um, and, and actually, the weather could do with being a bit better because we're going to the Rockstar CMO swimming pool this week. <laughs> we're inspired by 
Andrew Davis, who's the chief marketing officer at Paddle, who on episode 131 chucked in vendors creating categories. And by the way, whenever I ask that question, I say we have a regular spot on Rockstar CMO called the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool. So I better make it more regular. <laughs> so it's a Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool episode this week as we discuss this and now so this is about um vendors who just create their own categories and decide they're the leading leading vendor in something completely made up right and we've both been on the vendor side and um there are two sides to this uh that i'd like us to try and cover in 20 minutes which is you know, what advice do we give to B2B marketers that are faced with this, that they need to create a category or define the category they're in? I mean, one of the things that Andrew was saying was when he was at Optimizely, uh, there were 17 different analysts tracking the different categories that they felt that his product was in. So how can they do that? And then, of course, there are the advantages to defining a category. So we've seen it with HubSpot and Inbound or Drift creating conversational marketing, or I suppose you could say that Eloqua created marketing automation that you can then dominate and define a category, which is also I read this book, Play Bigger, which also talks about that. So there's some advantages there. But on the other side, how is this for the buyer? So what say you, Jeff? What say me? Well, so what, one thing mm-hmm. is to, I mean, Andrew actually said, as I was listening to his, his episode, that he was on it was mm-hmm. that there was eight seventeen analyst tracked categories. So it's like, how can wow. a tool that del- is about content delivery and personalization be in seventeen categories? <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's possible, but um, it is. I mean, it, it's it's an interesting conundrum because I mean, I worked for uh, a number of companies that were in the application development space, and it was interesting. At one point, we moved from just application development platforms to e-business platforms as internet-based mm-hmm. transactions and b2b came uh, you know became a thing yeah you know and then there was another organization when you know went to you know business process management and then that had to evolve into rapid app platforms and it's like right you know and sometimes you're making these transitions with the same the same code yeah, base yeah. the same piece of software yeah. that's well, evolving uh and so yeah. sometimes you're you're in catch-up mode. You're like, oh my gosh, yeah. everyone's moving over here, and we actually do yeah. kind of that. So let's move with them. Or and sometimes you're trying to lead a trend, you know, which yeah. I think, um, you know, is a lot of what what Andrew and his team were trying to do. Uh, it's mm. like, you know, you're you've got something that's that's new, and then maybe there's some other people that that kind of sit in a similar category. And so let's you know let's make sure we're working with the analysts to to build yeah. up the right one. Well, I mean, the conversation I had, um, wasn't it, with, with Kathy McKnight a few weeks ago, we were talking about all these different acronyms that describe oh, content management from, you know, DXPs, DXC and all that. And that's, that's, that's exactly this, isn't it? It's that, it's that as vendors describe, creating another TLA, which is the new category they, they lead, right? Yep. So, so, I mean, it's an obvious question. But so why is it important? Why do vendors create categories? Well, it's like, you know, both buyers and vendors need a market. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, the markets, uh, you know, appear like a bazaar in Marrakesh, you know, they're busy, they're crowded, every vendor is trying to stand Mm -hmm. out. Uh, And so then you might say, well, you know, we do something that is uh, unique, you know, and in the tech world, Mm -hmm. most of these products are not typically commodity pieces. Uh, So therefore, it's like, well, we do something that's slightly different, or we're pushing the boundary or required somebody. Uh, and that mm-hmm. that that somebody gives us capabilities that 
let us either be first or best or only, you know, in a particular market. And, you know, as we're taught as marketers, that's that's the position you want to be in. Um, but you can't always yeah. be, you know, because the market requires having more than one one vendor in it. So, you you know, everybody mm-hmm. can't be first, best and only. Uh, and, and you can't mm-hmm. be only because then you're because <laughs> then you're not in the market. It is a conundrum. Yeah. Um, and it's, and I think from a, you know, from a, a vendor standpoint, it's like if you sell a CRM and you're in a, in a market like, uh, like that's dominated, totally dominated by a Salesforce, then, yeah. you know, are we the customizable CRM? Are we the low cost CRM? Are we the mid market mm-hmm. small business CRM? What's, what makes us unique? So that we can say we're not like we're not like them, or do we have to break out and try to figure something else? Yeah. And I think a lot of this, from a vendor perspective, can be accomplished with better messaging, you know, more precise messaging that really helps you helps a buyer say, ah, that's that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, and I've um, I've heard that I had a conversation with a vendor the other day, and he said, um, you know, we are the X of Y, you know, and that's how they were able to define themselves. And he said that that statement helped him get investment because then people understood them. People like to put people or businesses or products in a box, right? And understand this, oh, that's the box you're in. You're like a Salesforce, but cheaper. Or you're a Salesforce, but for developers or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I can see what you're saying. Yeah. And, and, um, And so it's important then to define not only what category you're in, you're saying there, but what what's your... I don't know, unique position within that category. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And, and I think one time in an episode we, we had a while ago, we talked about, you know, lighthouse positioning. So if you got a gorilla in your market, then yeah. how do you define yourself in a way that's clearly in opposition to the gorilla? So you can say, well, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, you could go buy Salesforce and, uh, <laughs> and it's kind of like, like the, the X to the Y. You could go buy that. Yeah. But, you know, if you're looking yeah. for, I don't know, good customer support, inexpensive, easier to implement it, then you come to us. Um, But that has to really stand out. That really has to stand out. Right, right. So that sounds, I mean, we, I did say at the beginning, we'd sort of think about this from the buyer and the vendor's perspective. So from the vendor's perspective, it makes a lot of sense, right? I can define myself within my category as being uniquely different. And if you're looking for something like the thing I just described, then go buy, come by us, right? We're, we're, and we're different from the rest, right? So what's the problems with that? Well, from, from a buyer's perspective, it creates confusion. I mean, you talk about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Andrew and his Optimizely, you know, I'm in 17 different yeah. categories. And, and so, you know, a buyer might say, well, I'm looking at you guys, but you're in 17 different categories. So, wh- yeah. so who are you? you know, and, and, you know, our fun, our wishes often get kind of funneled into categories because somebody might say, and I ran into this a lot working with clients uh, at Forrester and Serious Decision. It's like, so we want to buy a content marketing platform. And then you say, well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what are you really looking for? And, and, yeah. and then you get in discussion and you realize, well, kind of what they want it has a lot overlap with a digital asset management or a marketing resource management or a workflow mm-hmm. automation. And then, mm-hmm. And then you realize, oh, well, they already have one of those. So, yeah. so that you know that confusion becomes a, an issue that a lot of the buyers have to grapple with, yes. and and you know it ignores the fact that you by by sticking everything into a category and saying these 
these are all similar. It's like ignores the mm. fact that you as a as a user have unique issues, unique mm. problems, unique business model. You know, you may have things that meet part of the needs. Uh, and so how do you how do you figure out the match? Is that bit there um, part of what let's uh, if we're going to be super cynical is that is really what the vendors are trying to do, right? Is to create that confusion, fear, uncertainty and doubt about the fact that no, 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 you don't need a digital asset management solution. You need you need a content marketing platform. This is what all the cool kids are doing, right? Even though basically it's a content management system where you put things in and you take things out of it right? and you manage it in the middle, right? <laughs> well, it's, so I mean, it, a lot of that is is, that the, uh, of is also getting, you know, which I think this is the real problem with the, um, mm-hmm. you know, the trends, you know, the hot stuff, you know, everyone's into either content marketing or everyone's into, as we've yeah. often, you know, thrown mud at uh, account-based marketing. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, yeah. You know, so I had a tool that was about targeting and now, oh, my gosh, account based marketing is really cool. So we now we have an APM platform. So yeah. they're trying to pick yeah. up on the the, you know, the the waves of interest. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, there's there's some good to be well, said for that from their point of view. But there's a lot that's confusing. Yeah. And I think as a vendor, you need to stay cognizant of what it is that your users, what your buyers are buying. Right. We um, uh, 20 years ago when I was in um, content. Well, I mean, I've been content management since then, but I worked for a content management vendor. ECM was all the rage and everybody was going enterprise content management. And you found these web content management solutions buying document management solutions. And nobody was buying enterprise content management. It was a, it was almost a construct of the analysts in the committee, and everybody was still buying website content management yeah. solutions like they do exactly like today. Yeah, and and, uh, and within the content management, as I remember, because I was yeah. was doing some advising on this, and there's like six or more subcategories. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and there's so many vendors in it, and so many vendors yeah. do a piece and do a piece really well, and so yeah, making yeah. the match. And I think another one of yeah, the problems yeah. with this is that the the consultants and analysts that you're as a buyer are using for making your helping make your decisions, they're the same people who are giving the analyst giving the vendors the mm. advice. And yeah. and so how do you know that they're not colluding with with the vendor yeah, to create yeah. something that uh, you know I've is always, a little smoke and mirrors? Yeah. Yeah, I've always felt there's a bit of collusion between because the thing is, is sometimes not only do vendors want to differentiate themselves, but so do analysts, right? Oh, they want they want they want a hill that they can claim. They want to create their own um, a TLA that and, and have a bunch of vendors in in that space. So yeah, there's a collusion to create these categories. Collusion to create so the confusion. Yeah, so that's the challenge for the buyer. But um, is there a problem there for the vendors with this? I mean, is well, I think the problem becomes, you know, the the fact that you find yourself competing if if what you're trying to do is is look for where buyers are are you mm-hmm. know are shopping. Yeah, you can find yourself spread too thin across too many different mm-hmm. categories. And right. I remember it at one of the companies I worked uh, at. It, it, we you know we said well we don't we explicitly don't want to provide our information to I can't remember if it was Forrester or Gartner to be in a mm-hmm. certain evaluation because it's like, you know, it would just be, you know, the sixth <laughs> category we uh, would find ourselves yeah. in and it's not one that yeah. we would show up as right. a as a leader. Because that's the other right. thing is, you know, you're either a leader or a contender, challenger. Yeah. Uh yeah. and, you know, if you're the one 
that is like you know way out at the uh at the outskirts mm. of the wave <laughs> yeah, yeah people just go oh so yeah that's yeah. the challenge for well, the well there, well there's also the thing that uh, that um i think we talked about which is that you know if you create a market of one it's not a market right you need you need to have competitors you need to have um to create that busy what how you described it that you know that busy sort of um you know market that people are going to go and attend like a bazaar in marrakesh i mean a bazaar in marrakesh with just one stool stool there yes <laughs> one guy shouting isn't isn't a market is or if it? you find so, that yeah. the all the stalls are owned by one uh you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah one investor <laughs> yeah yeah so what's so um what's the i mean i was gonna say what's the fix what 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 do you what's the advice you would give both to the buyers and to the the marketers well, you know, um, we often talk on this show about uh, marketers focusing on buyer needs. So mm-hmm. from the buyer perspective, you know, you've got to kind of flip things to say, we're starting our buying journey and, and we got to talk about, you know, the capabilities that we're, we're trying to gain. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know, we talked about this uh, to an extent, this sort of <laughs> process in a, a, a couple of blogs and, and uh, episodes where we yeah. talked about beware of the MarTech industrial complex. You know, how do you take yeah. a capability focused approach where you kind of get a team of stakeholders together and you say, what are we trying to do? And you don't, you don't want to list features. You want to say, you know, we're trying to develop content based on campaigns or story themes. We don't yeah. want to say automated tagging just yet, or, you know, meta tagging just yet, or, you mm-hmm. know, we're trying to, uh, you know, personalize, uh, you know, engagement on our website for customers. You know, so you mm-hmm. get you get into the what we're trying to accomplish as opposed to the features that do mm-hmm. that. And then you prioritize the list of capabilities. You know, what do you have to have? What's nice to have? Good to have? What's yeah. what's a, what can we put on the roadmap for the future? And then that gives you, you know, kind of a matrix that you can start to, you know, evaluate solutions because you can take that to the analysts or your consultant and you could say, okay, so who, you know, who helps address these capabilities? Obviously, you could do your own web research, et cetera. And, Mm. you know, if there's a wave, I mean, this is this is where the categories can help, because let's say, yeah, you know, you're in a content marketing conundrum (laughs) and you're. Yeah. And you could say, okay, I'm going to look at content marketing platforms, you know, yeah. and see what, what seems to fill these capabilities. I'm going to look at, you know, digital asset management, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and use the analyst or consultants to help you kind of navigate. But ultimately you're trying to get down to, I've got a punch list of things and I'm looking yeah. for what, you know, yeah. you know, where I have the gaps and the highest priority gaps and how those get yeah. filled. And, and like you say, I think we've given this advice a few times, haven't we, about um, when it comes to buying technology is like start with your requirements and stick to them, right, and, and be religious about that. What's the um, – so um, – and, and also then knowing where to go, I guess that's the good thing about categories, like you say, that gives the place where a buyer can go and start to do their research and start to take a look. But for the marketers who are – you know b2b tech marketers that are listening they're, and they're looking at content they're looking at the categories and they're looking at doing um category creation what approach would you say that they need to do well it's kind of um reverse engineer uh you know the buyer process what they're going through right. so um you know given 
the needs that you you know think you serve so you yeah. know and again you, you know if you if you can interview customers which is always a good idea or mm-hmm. again go to the the analysts and say you know what are what are the the needs out there for a company like us yeah. what are the needs out there that that um uh that we can help match and do your mm-hmm. your own matrix uh and see you know where that you know does that firmly sit you in a in a category so if you're if you're in a category or you believe you might be in one you know what's the position you're going to have you know can you make a uh a you know a case for being a leader a contender mm-hmm. strong performer with a defined value proposition um and this is i mean this is where working with the analysts is you know is absolutely important because mm-hmm. you know you you want to get a sense of where you're going to be if they're going to go out and evaluate a bunch of tools out there you got yeah. a sense of where where you're going to be because you don't want to be that 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 you know challenger or the also ran that's out there <laughs> you know yeah, left yeah. alone um and then you know once you've once you've determined where you know what markets what categories you sit in then develop the messaging mm-hmm. that you know reinforces your unique position so mm-hmm. you know and this is uh you know kind of what we've talked about is you got to kind of build what mm-hmm. is be really consistent and precise about what that message is build the content that directly addresses the buying needs because this gets into the educating supporting buyers in their yeah. in their journey uh to kind of cut through the bs and get down to um you know the specifics and I don't know. One of the things just I, I remember, uh, you know, was being when, when customer experience and was, was hot and, and it yeah. was new. It's like, cause I guess it's always yeah. kind of hot is, you know, what was it like yeah. a forest or CX forum as a vendor, you know, and there were yeah. like a dozen other companies with it. It's like you look at the headline on their, <laughs> on the stand yeah. and it was like the same message. Yeah. But, you know, this guy's an ERP vendor. This guy's yeah. a web content management vendor. This one does analytics. Yeah. <laughs> this one does yeah, customer yeah. satisfaction rate. It's like, yeah, oh my god! Yeah. Uh, so you got to get down to where you're precise yeah. uh, about what you I do like, in that particular. I what I also like about this is having a certain level of honesty about that, and also t- talking to your customers, as you say. I mean, if you are, you know, and it can't be too aspirational, can it? Because it has to be. It has to be. P- people sniff that out. So if you are the I don't know that I can't think of an example right now, but you, we were saying about being the, the like Salesforce, but cheaper Then you need to make sure that you're cheaper, but make sure that you're fully functional around that and that people will say that. Right. right. So, and, and don't use cheaper think, use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Cost effective. Yeah, sales, Salesforce for the mid market, whatever Meet it is. Meet your yeah, budget. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, that's good. So, I mean, that's a big old topic we were covering there. We that is a big topic. Managed and... to, we managed to come in on 20 minutes on that one. So, um, we may come back to this, I think, because I think this is an important to- this is an important topic when you are a B2B marketer is understanding your category and where you sit in it and how you communicate within that category. So hopefully for the listener that this was useful and maybe we'll come back to it. So for the last um, last item on our agenda, what are we going to be playing out with today? I'm, I'm going to go with a suggestion you gave us. Oh, was, uh, <laughs> my definition of a bombastic jazz style 
uh, <laughs> with a funny little line, replace a replaceable replacement with this. Uh, and, um, but, uh, and it, and it has that repeating my definition, my definition with a, with a uh, <laughs> yeah. cute little uh, riff on it. But anyway, I, I, I thought that that's a that's a fun one to uh, oh, go out on. Yes, I didn't expect us to pick that one. We 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 didn't prepare before we started because I can't remember what year that was. But yeah, so it's my definition of a bombastic jazz style by the Dream Warriors, uh, and a great lyric there. And then I believe next week, sometimes we talk about what we're going to talk about next week. Next week we're going to look at B two B personalization, aren't we, Jeff? Yes, we are. Yes, we're going to get personal. To <laughs> so, I'm, so i'm assuming i'm invited back into the studio for that so i'll see you again next week yes all right sounds great cheers buddy cheers see you then, bye. now what's my definition my definition my definition my definition is this my definition my definition my definition my definition is this my definition my definition is this my definition Thank you, Jeff. And that was a little snippet of Dream Warriors with my definition of a boombastic jazz style from 1990. And if you'd like more of Jeff's advice, and I encourage you to go get it, you can find all his links in the show notes. Right, time to go backstage with my guest. Rachel Miller is the founder of Suede, and who longtime followers of our publication and then our podcast might know as a B2B influencer marketing expert. With 20 years of experience in marketing, with expertise in social media marketing, content marketing, and of course, influencer marketing. As a data geek, Rachel has an essential skill in the fast-moving social media and influencer marketing space, and her strategies have achieved global recognition, working with well-known agencies and B2B technology vendors spanning enterprise to startup. She is also an advisor to many popular social business applications, where she provides feature evaluations to support product innovation. It was fun to catch up with Rachel. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hi, Rachel. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm super excited to be back in. Yeah, no, it's been a while, hasn't it? It was episode four I had you on, which people can't actually find anymore because I think <laughs> some of those early episodes might have uh, might have not made it through. Um, but you've been a friend of Rockstar CMO for a long time. It, this is going to be episode, I think, 163 if I get my maths right. So you've been with us for a few years. So welcome back, Rachel. Now, for people that didn't listen to episode four, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So Rachel Miller, um, I have been in influencer marketing, specifically B2B high tech for, it seems ridiculous to say now, but almost 15 years. Because I was really, um, I was able to join when it was just a twinkle in someone's eye. And um, I've been truly blessed with all the opportunities that have come my way over the years. But yeah, um, yeah, it's been quite a wild ride. Yeah, cool. And where are you joining us from today? I'm in California, USA. Ah, oh, beautiful. And it's it's April in California, which is a lovely time to be there, right? It is. And um, we just got through um, one of our rainiest winters ever, mm-hmm. I think. And now we're going through what they're calling the super bloom. So even if you've never oh. had allergies before, you have them now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, no. uh, but the hills look lovely. All the wildflowers are out and it, it's really precious. But um, yeah, everyone's sneezing and coughing and it's, uh, <laughs> it's a little ridiculous. <laughs> it sounds beautiful. I mean, I've uh, Robert Rose is a is a regular on the show. He, he's always telling me about how wonderful it is in California. So I'm 
I'm deeply jealous here in fairly grey Oxfordshire in the UK. So um, since we spoke, so when we spoke, I think first time we spoke, you were at Thulium and then you're at SAP. And now you've, you're doing your own thing with Swayd, S-W-A-Y-D, which is very cool. Um, you've got to get rid of the... Um, you've got to get rid of the um what is it the vowels right these days when you're yeah it's so you got to be in the cool kids club you just got to cut it short <laughs> <laughs> exactly so what is it that you what do you do at suede what do you guys do so um as i mentioned uh b2b influencer marketing and so when i had the opportunity mm-hmm. to create my own agency i was very adamant that we would stick in that lane um, so I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of hubbub around B2C, but it's a very different process than what we do um, with yeah. B2B and put some marketing. It's not the one and done. It's not transactional. I feel there's a lot more storytelling uh, when you collaborate mm-hmm. with an individual. It's typically a long-term engagement, and that's what I find really special about it. Um, and I wanted to stay true to my current clients and also bring in others of the same caliber. And they were all right. B2B. And mm-hmm. it's just not having to switch gears because I have had B2C clients and it's a whole different volume. So it's like you're, yeah. you're playing a whole new sport. So I'd rather <laughs> just stick with what I know, what I'm good at and what people actually come to me for. Um, what sort of customers do you tend to work with? Is it mostly B2B tech or other other B2B areas? A lot in tech, but just also just kind of in mm-hmm. that, that B2B marketplace. Mm-hmm. So it's always that yeah. business to business. And at the end of the day, it's still all about humans. But there's yeah. just it's a slight nuance that I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. No, cool. We'll get onto that in a moment, because as you know, I'm a B2B marketer myself, so I'm fascinated by this. Um, and as I mentioned, when you fir- when we first met, you were at Thulium, and then you uh, you led influencer marketing at SAP, which is great. I'll ask you about SAP in a bit. Um, how are you finding building your own brand and your own company? I mean, a lot of a lot of my listeners probably have that aspiration to go do their own thing. How are you finding it? It's been interesting, mostly good. Mm-hmm. I think the only <laughs> thing that I was shared, I think anyone who's ever started a business kind of goes through the same thing in their first year. It's just chasing invoices. Because, you yeah, know, as, a, as an employee, you get that steady paycheck, you get insurance, yeah, yeah. you're not really nagging your boss to pay you. It just <laughs> miraculously shows up every couple of weeks or once a month, depending yeah. on your pay schedule. Um, yeah, but then yeah. when you become a business owner and you mm-hmm. invoice people, even if you have a wonderful client like SAP, they may not pay you for 90 plus days. Um, wow. So it, that yeah. part, you're just like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I yeah. forgot about that part. Um, <laughs> yeah, I no, I, I mean, I've, I've been there. And it's so frustrating because doing the work is great. You love the work. All that other stuff. And sometimes it's 60 percent of the time, isn't it? You spend with the admin and the company stuff and the business development. It's, it's heavy. But you on balance, you enjoying it? I do. I think the freedom to pick and choose clients is really nice. Um, Because I know sometimes, especially if you work at an agency, which I had the last two years prior to having SAP as a client, um, you kind of just, your stakeholder, your boss at the agency kind of dictates the projects you get. So you kind of are, you have to do it, whether it's not your specialty or something that you truly enjoy. But when you own your company, you can really choose like, oh, I see a lot of potential here. I want to nurture that or just, you know, it's not going to be a good fit. And I always try to recommend somebody else. Like if someone came to me and it's a cool project, but it's not in my wheelhouse, I'll find mm. a different home for them. Um, so don't leave them hanging. That's, I mean, that's great that you're able to do that because that's often the challenge, isn't it? And, and your clients and your work defines you and the references you get. So if, if you start off and you're a bit, and you're a bit too optimist, opportunistic with that stuff, you end up in that groove that you really didn't want to get into. Right. Exactly. And I would say 90% of my clients are referrals. So I have to really be honest with myself when I get a a new business proposal, like, is this something that's going to work? And will I, will it be successful for both of us? Because that's, you want it to be a mutually 
a, a yeah. win-win. So yeah, no, that's cool. So you'd recommend it then on on base on balance of that? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not for everyone, but yeah, I'm yeah. also not a nine to fiver, so I like to create my own schedule. Yeah. And I know working from home for the last 10 plus years, I've kind of been only being groomed for that. And I've always had agencies that have been, been very proactive. I know when I was yeah. with Tamlin McCleary's agent, Thulium, it was kind of your, your deliverable based. So if you chose to work from 2 a.m. to 7 a.m., that's your jam, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as at the end of the day, she can look at through your roster and all the boxes are checked, that's fine. And I really yeah, appreciate yeah. that freedom because if you know your sleep cadence, when you're most optimal for your work schedule, you can create mm. magic. Um, and when you're mm. forced into that eight to five box, some people, mm. they're better in like noon to seven. Like you really have to know yourself. Yeah, and, um, when yeah. Yeah. yeah I, was, I, was, I was speaking to a chum of mine. We were talking about writing. And she was like, oh, I can only write in the mornings. As soon as I get it, I have to write then. I can't write later in the day. I'm like, I'm totally later in the day. Because especially for me, because I have a, you know, a regular job. So um, when when everybody quietens down, when when the emails stop coming in and Slack and um, team stops, that's when I can focus. Like from five until seven in the evening is my golden hour, Mm -hmm. golden two hours, you know, for writing. And you're absolutely right. You might not get much done in the day, but you might really hammer it home at that for those two hours. And a lot of people are like that. I think there's a lot of people that are specifically when your parents, you that like, 8 to 10 p.m. Yeah. Bracket, that's when yeah, everyone's yeah. sleeping, it's quiet, <laughs> yeah. no one from work is yeah. texting you. Then you can like, oh, if you want to write a blog or even like to yeah. create a podcast or at least edit your podcast, like that's your time when you get yeah. to shine. Um, yeah. I'm a morning person, <laughs> yeah. so um, I try to schedule all of my important calls and anything specifically creative in the morning because I think my brain shuts down at like 4 p.m. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of useless at that point. Don't, don't tell me the technical questions. Oh, I'm, I'm probably useless at the meetings later on later in the day, but the writing I can, I, I find I find good flow when it gets peaceful, absolutely. And um, and as for the podcast, well, this is my Saturday morning, so <laughs> that's my routine. Anyway, well, anyway, so that's great about um, discussing it. And, and I also think, like you were saying, I think the pandemic has changed things and people have changed their attitude to flexible working so this is excellent especially um you know it just you can get the best out of people can't you You don't force them into into this routine but and that's not why I got you on the show and one of the things that I wanted to ask you about because I don't think we've had this conversation in all the time I've known you you've had a super career we've talked about a couple of things you've done but what actually inspired you to choose marketing in the first place I don't know if I did, uh, Ian. <laughs> I kind of fell into it because I went to yeah. school. I went to art school. So I was a, a drawing and sculpture major with a graphic design minor. Wow. And um, one of my first jobs, and then I kind of pivoted right after school. I thought I was going to become a chef. And that's a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> I um, look forward then, to that one. <laughs> it, was, it, was a good, it was a good ride for a few years. And then yeah. I moved from um, Australia to the US. Um, mm-hmm. I did double in winery work for a while. And then one of my regular customers, um, he had what is now Tennis Warehouse, which is kind of a global, if you're into tennis, you know who they are. But they were um, in the city that I was working at. So I started working there. I got really into logistics and supply chain. Um, wow. And then, again, another regular from one of their clients. It's kind of, again, I've been really fortunate with my career. Took a liking yeah. to me, and they had a content marketing agency. So then they're like, do you know how to write? I'm like, I'd always dabbled. I had a diary growing up. I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? And that's when like SEO and all that was kind of coming to the forefront. So I got really good at search engine marketing. Um, and that led me to starting my Twitter account. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where John Perauer from Nimble kind of picked me out of the Twitterverse. And I was like, I like your wow. style or your writing style. So then I was leading his blogging community, which then yeah. blogging outreach 
creating yeah. advocacy in your community became basically what we know as influencer marketing now. So this is all happening around like 2010, 2011. So yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, it really, things just went like wildfire after that. Like once I got into influencer marketing, because there are so few people doing it, particularly in the B2B mm. space, and then just mm. opportunity just kept um, literally being thrown at me. <laughs> yeah. Remember those days. And do you think people still have that opportunity? Because I mean, I was, I think I joined Twitter in 2009 and I, I, I also was blogging and writing, and then I got picked up by um, an analyst firm who said, "Oh, you know, you seem to uh, seem to have an opinion about the industry. You know, why not come work with us?" And and I'm I actually created a network and, and made some really good connections through Twitter and through through the blog. Do you think people can still do that? I mean, Twitter's such a mess right now. Do you think there's still that opportunity? Yeah, Twitter is a mess. And again, that could be a whole podcast because I have been really <laughs> saddened watching what's gone down the last 12 months, yeah, um, yeah. particularly recently with now that technically it doesn't exist. It's now under this like weird umbrella because um, it was my first love. It was my first social media platform. I was, like you, I think it was like 2009 is when I joined. Um, and it, I will say it was easier, but I think one of my favorite sayings is you need to be a voice, not an echo. And I think so many people creating content right now are just echoes and they're echoes of echoes. So yeah, the content's yeah. really diluted, but if you have your own personal opinion, you have a solid platform yeah. and you don't jump from ship to ship, mm. spirit, don't be wackadoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And keep your, your voice clear. I think you can stand out in the, in the noise, um, mm. but it's yeah. so easy. And then I've really been enjoying creating content through a lot of the AI options that are available. Like Jasper is one of my favorites right now, but you have to be careful yeah. to put in your, your unique honest inputs otherwise it's just going to be an echo and then you have to kind of check like oh is somebody is does somebody else do this but there are ways you can kind yeah. of verify and it has expedited content creation but i wouldn't don't ever just rely on it you need to make sure that it's at least 50 percent you because you know then you're yeah. just lazy. <laughs> i love i love the way you just segue straight into that because that was my immediate thought when you were talking about um echoes of echoes um, and that you need to have that differentiation of voice. Because like you say, absolutely like you say, like ChatGPT and Jasper and those tools have merely accelerated the process to create shit content or boring or 100%. menial or beige content, right? You, the, the content that's great. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, <laughs> whenever I do, whenever I write my blog post now, I make sure I swear in it just so people know it isn't ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You throw in a word that's only you. You have your own vernacular. It's really me. I, uh, you've got a few of those. I know that. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. Um, but as you mentioned, you, you're an influencer marketing expert. That, I mean, God, how many that known you for a few years? And that's how I've always thought of you as well. Um, but a lot of people, as you were saying, associate that with consumer brands and B2C, and you do a lot of work B2B, as you mentioned. Why is influencer marketing important to B2B? Why should we be paying attention to it? I think at its core, it's ultimately the storytelling. Um, mm. And I think humans have been doing that since we were, you know, banging rocks together. But it kind of mm-hmm. once you, you know, markers got a hold of it, then, you know, you have to commercialize everything. And I think just <laughs> like like most things mainstream, it goes to consumer first, even though one would say that B2B companies have been doing influencer marketing longer, just under a different name. Yeah. Perhaps it was just, you know, peer to peer knowledge exchange. Like there's other ways you can like spin in like, oh, yeah, we've been doing this forever, you know, like. Someone's yeah. always recommending me to use a new business tool. That's basically influencer marketing. <laughs> you may not yeah, have had a hundred thousand Twitter followers at the time, but that's because it was thirty years ago and it didn't have that kind of opportunity. Um, but I think it's well, always, always been thought, important. So yeah, and I've always thought the same way um, about um, analyst relations. Right, it's, it's influencer marketing, isn't it? But anyway, you carry on. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can slice and dice it. I know for a while mm-hmm. there's kind of a rift between you know PR firms and influencer marketing firms in the B2B space. But now I think mm-hmm. we're coming to realize because a lot of my favorite influencers are kind of what I call hybrids now. They're kind of like they bridge that gap yeah. between a traditional analyst and a traditional influencer because their 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 consulting firms are now becoming like boutique analyst firms and they're producing mm-hmm. their own research mm-hmm. papers and because again we have access mm-hmm. to so much data. It's not just like stuck with the big three like it used to be historically um other companies can have the same access and create um even more valuable conversation and faster i think that's kind of where Mm. in my opinion analyst firms are kind of being left in the dirt because it takes them six to twelve months to produce a paper six to twelve months is a decade in marketing time (laughs) like yeah especially the last few years with like ai and everything it's moving so quickly like you can't hold data for that long um it just doesn't make sense anymore and i think we learned that coming out of the pandemic a lot of people yeah. cause their d- papers. Like if you have data from 2019 and now it's 2021, we're in a whole different world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like the world changed. So um, yeah. you need to keep it current. And also, and also um, software categories change, don't they, uh, quite quickly as, I mean, organi- uh, vendors are allowed, to, are they able to spring up quite quickly or to pivot um, with SaaS technology and stuff like that? It's not like the old days of, you know, the Gartner and Forrester of old days where they were dealing on premise and it would take an awful long time for a category to move. Yeah. Category now can change. And like you say, with things like ChatGPT, a cat, you know, if you're in a if you're in a content management type category, all of a sudden you've got this new thing you need to consider and the category has moved and definition that category has moved. Yeah. So and I think that and what you were sorry, I'm talking too much for somebody who's interviewing somebody else. <laughs> no, this is but, great. I like the back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the um what I like there, and this is also the advice I give to people, is the fact that yes, you have your analysts, you have your top tier analysts, but now, like you say, everybody is a influencer and analyst all the way down, isn't it? These so how how do you go about identifying in a category who those and it's easy to find the gardeners and the foresters and who to follow from that. But where do you then look below that? And what's what's your process there? It's unfortunately still a very manual process, um, despite right. there being so many new marketing technology tools available. Yeah. None of them do a stellar job. So I spend a lot of my time on Twitter, on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. like <clears throat> using all of the advanced search options. And that's usually how I find my best people. I'm also reading, you know, 20 plus articles a day. So if I saw, I find someone yeah. whose byline is really interesting, then I follow them. I read what they've written previously. And that could be the person right. that I reach out to on a specific topic. Um, I've been right. engaging more um, journalists lately because again, they're kind of, they're tearing into analysts as well because they do the research, mm. you know, um, mm. they may not be boots mm. on the ground practitioners, but in all honesty, neither are any of the analysts that I've worked with over the past few years either. So, (laughs) but that's where I have my, my true passion is with influencers because people who transition from being, you know, the guy on the ground, you know, the CTO, CIO, and now they're kind of in there. um, They're doing some influencer work. Those are great because they can actually like, if a problem comes up, they can give you a valid suggestion on how to fix it. Other than like, well, we think you can do this, (laughs) but I don't actually know. Yeah, I mean, you, I, we could definitely do an episode on that thing you were saying about analysts not being practitioners, right? And so, and I think that nowadays, like you're saying, you can get a much better mix of views, can't you? Which is, oh, there's the analysts, you know, in their ivory tower of what well, things that should happen and might be the case. But actually, vendors need to listen to what's really going on in the ground, because I think sometimes vendors have got a bit caught up in the 
echo chamber of what the analysts yeah, say. Exactly. And the buyer is still buying this. They've still got this problem down here and everybody else is, yeah. So you've got, you got to keep it real. As it were. Yes, they, they have definitely created a little walled city <laughs> yeah. around yeah. themselves. Um, and it, it yeah. comes down to, I think, why things are just coming out so slow for them as well. They just really need to yeah. expedite and whether they need yeah. to use an AI or um, <laughs> I'll make some suggestions. <laughs> Fabulous. So that's, um, um, I was also listening to you on Jason Falls's uh, Winfluence podcast. He's, um, he's the center of our marketing podcast network world, by the way. So we will listen to Jason intently um, <laughs> as you would. And he, and he was, and I was listening to your conversation with him about your time at SAP. Um, share a little bit of what you learned from that experience because SAP is not a company you would expect to be quite so innovative but they really grasped this influence and marketing thing didn't they they really they, they did and they do and I'm still learning yeah. um, because again yeah. a company that has you know, over 110,000 employees they cover 27 industries um, so many notable solution offerings um, they celebrated their 50th year in business um, wow. last year in April yeah. Um, and that in itself, like some people will say, oh, they're a dinosaur. But I'm like, they're still here. Like they're reliable. Yeah. They're not going anywhere. And yeah. if I had to make a million dollar technology buy, I would look mm. to someone who's been around a long time, not a scrappy startup who could lose their funding <laughs> as things went mm. down in Silicon Valley recently and just not yeah. exist. So um, yeah. I would go with more tried and true. But to their credit, despite being around for so long, they have so many innovative ideas. They've been like that quiet sleeper, um, especially mm. around like sustainability. A lot of their solutions have been in play for 20 years, like with the carbon footprint tracking. Um, but right. they're, I think I don't know if it's because they're German or just the way the board and the key executive <laughs> structure works, but they're really happy to be the guy behind the guy. They're not looking to be yeah. a household name. And that uh, maybe has shifted with like Julie White coming over from Microsoft because now we are, there's mm. a project I'm working on that does involve billboards in very prominent cities mm. around the globe. Um, so that I think there's going to be a shift there because she's coming from Microsoft where everybody and their brother knows yes. who Microsoft is. And she's like, <laughs> why does nobody know when I go to Starbucks what SAP does? <laughs> so I think she's really like creating this momentum yeah. to work on wow. that because like I, I tell my friends and family, like everything you touch in your house in some way mm. is there because of SAP, whether it's, you know, yeah. the vitamins that you take in the morning or the coffee that you're drinking from Costa Rica, somewhere in that supply chain evolution yeah. sap if nothing else that because most of the world's financial transactions run through them so it's like i'm like yeah. they're there and if you think about that and if they okay. went away everything in your house would go away um yeah i um i started my career in supply chain so sap was you know i competed against them i've integrated with them <laughs> they're always they're present everywhere if you, and if you're in supply chain and you don't integrate to sap good luck <laughs> yes they're kind of yeah they're invasive. based um, well that's their bread and yeah. butter that's kind of what they were founded on so yeah um, yeah, yeah yeah still no, going strong yeah, no, I think it's really interesting because like you say, I mean, and I also think there's a bit of German thing there, having been the CMO of a German software company, um, to have, I wanted some of our guys to speak up and to publish blog posts and stuff. And they're like, no, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. Well, you don't have <laughs> they, you Yeah, know, they, they are very humble. Like, Despite being very, they yeah. are assertive in some ways, yeah. but yeah. not necessarily to toot their own horn. Um, yeah. even if they are a topic expert. It's a really interesting dichotomy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they felt that in order to write a blog post, they would need to be top of their field, yeah. you know, and, and be that doctor, engineer guy. And it's like, no, just I just need your opinion you know, on something. Which is That's interesting because I know I worked for an Austrian company a few years ago 
And they had yeah. a very similar mindset as well. Like all of their papers yeah. were written by academia, basically. And which again yeah. falls into me, not a practitioner. They studied it. They didn't do it. It's a very different, um, I, have, I, I should write a blog post about it. But again, the same thing. Oh, it's like, sure. Well, I can't write it. I'm just the CEO. But I'm like, I know, but your boots on the ground. You're doing this. Yeah. Then you'll yeah. just, he would have a friend write it from like a university of whatever. So I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, I love that. There's so many. Oh, God, I've just looked at the time. There's so many of these topics that you've just touched on. I think we could do a whole thing on. And and there's another one. That's that's excellent. But I'm going to get to our final question. And and you know this feature well because you've contributed. You contributed to this feature before we even had a podcast. Um, (laughs) We have a regular feature on Rockstar CMO, the swimming pool, our portal to marketing hell where we throw all the bullshit snake on overhyped trends that plague this industry we love. Three years ago, when you were on the podcast, you chucked in jumping on the newest, coolest, shiny thing. And before we even had a podcast, <laughs> you, you described those as wackadoos, which is actually one of my favorite moments <laughs> on Rockstar, of running Rockstar Studios, <laughs> is that word just completely re- resonated. So what would you chuck in today? Would you change your mind or are the wackadoos still going in there? Oh, the wackadoos are still prevalent. No, they're still going strong, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, and I guess kind of like a subset of Mm -hmm. wackadoos would be so this term has been popping up quite a bit with my clients and in content that i've been reading so youthification so brands and media companies like we need to target the younger demographics you know youth youth i forget how they phrase it in a sentence but i was like what like like you know gen (laughs) z generation alpha and i was thinking about this and i'm doing more of my own research i'm like i think people have forgotten who has money right now people graduating college and high school are poor I'll get out. <laughs> they, yeah, have no yeah. money to buy. they have no purchasing yeah. power. They have to ask yeah. their parents and grandparents for money. So it's like, no, yeah. I'm not going to focus on the 20 year olds coming out. That That's not, yeah. well, not my demographic, specifically B2B. So I got, it was really amusing. Yeah. So we're on this big call and the agency was like, yeah, we really need to target that 20 to 30 gap. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure we should stay in that like 45 to 65. That's good. That's our yeah. sweet spot because they got the money and the purchasing power. <laughs> Yeah. So it's, yeah. whether it's jumping on a new trend or just really just being a little bit yeah. misinformed about who's actually buying your products, um, yeah. I would like I think that, that's to kind perfect. of do a reality yeah. check there. So. <laughs> they look really good in ads, though, because, you know, their skin's beautiful, they're running, oh, but yeah. they're not buying anything. <laughs> they're eating ramen in their, like, dorm room. So. <laughs> That's for sure. So that's youthification. We're going to be chucking in this. Yes, this the, the over youthification of campaigns, I think, is an like issue it. right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, Rachel. Well, we've run out of time. And, but when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? I have been lucky to get Rachel Lou Miller everywhere. So whether it's <laughs> if, you're, if you're still brave enough to go to Twitter, you can find me there. Definitely uh-huh. on LinkedIn, Instagram, all the all the good spots. So splendid, um, and I'll include all your links in the show notes, and I'll even include a link to your article where you talked about the wackadoos. <laughs> so awesome! I need to republicize that, so it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I look forward to that, and uh, thank you very much, Rachel. And I hope to speak to you soon. Look after you as well. Thank you so much day. for your time. Thank you, Rachel. I really mustn't leave it so long next time. And if you like this topic, Rachel also appeared on the Winfluence podcast, also part of Marketing Podcast Network, hosted by Jason Falls. I recommend giving that a listen and I'll include a link to that and all of Rachel's links in the show notes. Right, time to wind down the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker of the content advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. 
Give me a moment. What are you drinking? Ah, uh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. Uh, you know, it, it's it's been a week, um, mm-hmm. and so you know, it's it's one of those. I don't know. I, I I have not kept up with how the weather has been in in mm-hmm. in jolly old England, as they say, <laughs> as the idiots say, but. Um, uh, but here in California, it's spring has definitely sprung. I mean, it is mm-hmm. warm and sunny, and it's been great to be outside. And so, anyway, right, and, and it's been and so accompanied by, of course, the sheer volume of noise and news around AI, and you know, it seems mm-hmm. like all that's anybody can talk about. So it's been busy, right? Yeah. Trying to keep up with everything these days. Yeah, <clears throat> and so, for the cocktail this week, I thought mm-hmm. it might be fun. Yes. Um, to uh, to to you know sort of end our week as it yes. were uh, with the last word. So yes. that's the name of this uh, tonight's cocktail. It's called the last word, mm-hmm. and it actually is a gin drink. So you're gonna <laughs> totally luck out in this um, in this capacity. Um, and we are looking for a really nice dry gin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, so what we are going to do is you're going to have gin this, and by the way, this is a shaken drink. So this is, you're Ooh, going yeah. to pour this yeah. into a, a cocktail glass and it's right. very pretty when it's mm-hmm. ultimately done green, it'd be a green color. Um, so you had uh, one part, uh, lime, yep. uh, one part gin mm-hmm. or, you know, a little more Some gin, parts, you know, I mean, yeah. always, always to taste as it were. <laughs> uh, and then a little, and then this is an ingredient that isn't as readily, Found, I, I guarantee you, you don't have it in your desktop bar. But um, it's called green chartreuse. Oh yes, um, which is a which is a mixer. Yeah. Um, and so get the green chartreuse in there, and then if you have them, a maraschino cherry mm-hmm. uh, and just a tiny amount of the maraschino cherry juice. But but maraschino one maraschino cherry should be fine. Um, and then uh, uh, and then a lime wedge uh, for of course for wow. serving, and then you pull all that into a shaker with ice, shake it up, you know, add the, the lime juice, the gin, the chartreuse, um, and then vigorously shake that and get it going. So it turns into a little kind of a frothy mix, pour that into a very chilled glass. And we have a very fancy last word cocktail. Very nice. That sounds delicious. Well, a couple of things there. One is, is just to give you an update on the weather in Jolly Old Blighty. It is, uh, it, I've been in, um, I've actually been in Rotterdam this week, but I think they've had similar weather. It's been Rotterdam. Not, yeah, it's not been as beautiful. Rotterdam, the forever. Detroit of the Netherlands, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Detroit's beautiful. <laughs> is it? Is it though? Really? Is it? To my, to my Detroit listeners. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For your Detroit listeners. <laughs> so I'll, um, I'll attempt to make that very drink just using the ingredients of my desktop bar. So as you yeah. have observed, so I'm going to put some ice in there. And as you observed, uh, I added, I will be putting, I do have gin. And that'll be a nice bit of Hendrix. Let's get that in there. Uh, and I'm going to take this a moment to say hello to my sister who started listening to the show, and she list- she likes this bit. So that's just a you know you know like when you're on late night radio, nice sort of mention. Say hello to my sister. I see. Uh, her name's uh, well, Lisa. Well, shout out to your sister. <laughs> yeah. And um, hang on, I can't I'm see. sorry you have to put up with all this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, she lives on Bermuda, so she doesn't have to part with me very much at all. Um, so. 
I can't get my tonic open, which is a bit uh, embarrassing. Huh? Nobody can see, so you can always fake it, you realize. I realize that. I realize that, but I'm true to my art. You don't really have to do it. But yes, I, I, I appreciate the, the reality part of reality radio I could, here, yeah. I, I, could, uh, I could obviously make the same cocktail as you always promote, couldn't I, every week? And just pretend that green chartreuse is a regular feature on my desktop. Anyway, what I did there is, I, I, um, as everybody says... In, in the bars around our way, the most green chartreuse of uh, English, no, the most English of green chartreuses is, of course, uh, uh, tonic water. Um, yes, from, from the lovely people at Sea Fever Tree with the cucumber in it. Oh, I messed that up. But oh, that's very nice, Robert. I really like that. That's um, lovely. It's not very. It's not as green as you thought it would be. I must say. I know. I can. I can, I can imagine it's not. <laughs> but I can it's imagine delicious. It's not. It's delicious. And I could drink one of these every week. So where are we taking these very fine cocktails? Well, I think we should. I, in I, as I was saying, we should celebrate the weather here mm. in uh, lovely Southern California. So we should be here in Los Angeles. Nice. Um, and come on over for the spring. This is the best time mm-hmm. uh, of year. Um, and, and and usually I say this in February because yes. this is the kind of weather we would normally have in February. But we had such a rainy, gray, cold February and January, which yeah. has made for, by the way, a spectacularly green uh, spring here. Mm-hmm. It is now the kind of weather that we would normally have in late February, early March, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's it's low 70s, mid 70s, just beautiful sunshine and, and gorgeous. And so... I think we have to find ourselves in the middle of, you know, not necessarily at the beach, but we'll go into Malibu, into the hills and nice. just uh, and, and sit at one of these. There's there's uh, a couple of really beautiful, wonderful restaurants up there that we mm-hmm. could sit, look at the view of the mountains, watch the sunset and just uh, have a lovely Southern California uh, relaxing afternoon. Very nice. I think we've we've been to California a couple of times. and I, I, I wonder if we should just go there. But there are some lovely places we've been to in 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 the world with the virtual bar. But I, the the California at this time of year sounds wonderful. So yes, we're sitting enjoying these drinks and uh, the beautiful <clears throat> beautiful warm weather. And uh, with us, Robert, as inevitably happens, the conversation turns to marketing. What are we talking about this week? Well, we're going to talk about a little bit of. Uh, efficiency in the customer experience process. So here's the thing. Ha- mm. You have Domino's Pizza, yes? In, yes, we in do. In London? Yes, yes, we do. In fact, I may have it just after we record this. <laughs> ah, well. <laughs> With our movie. So here's the thing. I, I ordered Domino's Pizza mm-hmm. last weekend. Yes. Um, for the first time, and this may surprise you, it may not surprise you, um, for the first time in 28 years, Wow. Um, and, and you know, it took me back. I had to actually go back and look. So do you know the movie, you remember the movie Reality Bites, right? Yes. Yes. So one of the scenes of that movie that my wife and I always used to quote to each <laughs> other, uh, because it reminds us so much of where we were financially, was where they were. And it's this very Gen X or hmm. thing, which is when they order Domino's Pizza and Lelena, who's played by Winona Roberts, you know, do they take checks? Because, um, you know, we used to write checks to Domino's Pizza. And in fact, the last time I ordered Domino's Pizza, I wrote them a check. Um, that's how long it's been. Wow. Um, and the thing is, 
mid-90s, the customer experience was very different for Domino's, right? There were no apps. There was no websites, no pizza trackers. You didn't track your guy as he was driving. Um, Basically, you would show up to your apartment and there would be a, you know, door hanger on your thing that you would magnet stick to your refrigerator. And, you know, that was the way. And basically, in those days, by the way, there were exactly, you know, uh, I think 15 basically options, right? I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. you know, there was no... There was no other food. It was pizza, right? <laughs> yeah. You had large or small pizza and 11 toppings, and that was it. That was kind of what you had. Yeah. And it was really an efficient process, right? You basically called um, the number that was on the little door hanger. You specified the number of pizzas, the pop, the toppings, and 30 minutes later, very efficient minutes later, the pizza arrives at your door. <laughs> and that's what it became known for, right? Mm-hmm. Average, efficient pizza, yeah. right? So anyway, cut to last weekend. And, and maybe you would be one of the, the, uh, the, the more vocal on this as well, since it sounds like you're, you've ordered it free, you know, uh, very more recently. Than you, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my friends in the neighborhood had told us for weeks about how we were missing out, right? The Domino's was amazing and that, mm-hmm. you know, it was not the same Domino's as, you know, you, you remember and it's yeah. awesome. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So the wife and I were like, why don't we try? We don't feel like ordering out anything else. We felt like pizza. I was like, well, let's, okay, let's listen to them. Let's give it a try. So I wow. download the app do the thing it's entirely efficient it's brilliant right now but of course now oh my god there's chicken and tater tots and sandwiches and pastas and salads and desserts and yeah, all sorts yeah. of things right yeah and so okay so but the app you know was basically oh pizza boom toppings boom uh, you know it was very similar to very familiar to me mm-hmm. and and so basically you know and then it did the gps thing which was like like spooky accurate like, yeah. you know to guess my address i was like okay that's weird but anyway 30 minutes later boom domino's efficient pizza at my door exact same experience only done through an app mm. and my experience was like eh, i don't get it it, it was just, it was yeah it was an average efficient pizza i yeah. didn't really understand it so I, I share my experience with my friends mm-hmm. here in the neighborhood and they're like oh you didn't do it right Um, you, you didn't, you didn't order it the right way. You have to customize it. You know, you can't just take the standard. You got to customize it. You got to always ask for double cheese. You got to add garlic, you know? Yeah. The tater tots are fine, but you have to get the cheddar bacon tots. Those, that's the ones that are amazing. I was like, okay, what they're basically saying is, is that my very average experience was my fault (laughs) that I had somehow manifested this, you know, suboptimal experience because I didn't take enough time to really think through my order. And so I don't, I don't think however many options you chose, you'd get a cordon bleu pizza experience. No, well, you know, (laughs) but hopefully it would be better at least. And anyway, what it reminded me of, regardless of the quality of pizza that I might have gotten, um, <laughs> yeah. was that we often remove too much friction, and this is especially true in B2B marketing, mm-hmm. um, from our buying process. We have spent so many years over the last five, six, seven, ten 10 years streamlining our websites, thinning out our product pages, making our landing pages as focused as possible, mm-hmm. providing sales enablement scripts that are so streamlined, so tight, 
basically it removes any ability for any sales rep to sort of read the room or get contextual because it's like, no, 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 stick to the script, right? Remove as much friction. It's always about how do we remove enough friction? And this is exactly the Domino's app experience. And what I find is, is that today B2B products and, you know, B2B services too, for the many things, they're complex, right? So the, you know, if I may use the metaphor, in B2B, the toppings or sides, those are the things that will differentiate your customer experience or make it at least more contextually valuable to some customer who's coming through. And the example that comes leaping to mind are things like marketing clouds, right? Everybody's got a marketing cloud these days, just like everybody's got a pizza these days. So whether it's Adobe or Oracle or Salesforce or HubSpot or you know any of the other marketing clouds out there, uh-huh. clients don't have a clue as to the components in the complete package. There's no no way anybody, much less analyst even, mm-hmm. can tell you what's in the marketing cloud, what makes it contextually spe- you know, special and, and, and all those kinds of things. It's a complex solution. And so how do you offer the right customized choices without overwhelming the customer mm-hmm. at the same time? And my thought and what I've seen work is that you can and should introduce a bit of friction that slows down or pauses the buyer's journey in order to provide that extra value that may ultimately enhance their overall experience. In other words, slow me down. Tell me the toppings. Tell me what everybody's ordering. Tell me the things. Mm. And I'll, I'll give you a great example of this. And we've talked about this on this show before. When I was the CMO of a CMS software company, yeah. we thought, you know, we believed that we had the most flexible workflow on the planet, right? Our <laughs> workflow was entirely flexible. And it, you know, where workflow really comes up yeah. in content management software is in uh, translation and localization management. Yeah. And the way we used to approach that was that we would just say, yes, you know, can you support this? Yes, we absolutely could. Because yeah. we could, we really yeah. do. We could, we made it as frictionless as possible. <laughs> and so what we realized after losing so many engagements to in those days uh, it was uh, uh, adobe um Dang, because they had a there. standard generic way to do yeah. workflow yeah. and translation and workflow specifically yeah. and so that's what people wanted they wanted not they wanted to pause and learn about what the right translation workflow was rather than buying a technology that could bend to their what they perceived as bad workflow mm-hmm. so it was slowing down that process and adding that extra learning capacity that actually provided differentiated value. And so we shouldn't be thinking about streamlining our buyer's journey so much that we make the mistake of missing opportunities where the customer could really benefit from just taking a pause. And so that Domino's app was great. It was getting me through the thing very, very quickly. But if it had, you know, if it had stopped me and said, Hey, by the way, People in your area love to add double cheese. They love to add the, you know, the tots with the bacon. They, you know, just mm-hmm. using some data to optimize my experience. Yeah, it would have slowed me down, but I might have had a better experience from it. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's what's on my mind. Yeah, no, I love that. And your example of workflow is excellent um, because I, I mean, back then, while you were the highfalutin CMO, I was a, I was just in pre-sales, I think, or a technical account manager probably for Vignette back then. And um, we'd do these wonderful demos, show them the, all the complex workflows and stuff. And then somebody would go, can we turn that off? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> 
yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, we just we don't want all that. Right. And workflow That's exactly right. Yeah, one of the workflows. And exactly, I mean, we were competing with Day as well, who then became Adobe. And it was, this, you know, and everybody, we were like, yeah, but they can only do this. Well, maybe that's all the buyer wants to do. <laughs> you know, so you do suffer from that. Uh, but yeah, and this, um, <clears throat> yeah, the, but the friction thing is interesting, isn't it? Because I think as well is... It's like when you're when you're really into something and you're you're really thinking about buying something and really considering it, you're going to go in there deep and you are going to take that time, aren't you? And so we we shouldn't be too afraid about adding some friction to the process because that will just that demonstrates commitment to the deal, doesn't it? Or sorry, commitment to the the thing they're trying to the problem they're trying to solve almost. Yeah. It, well, it's it's there's a there's a a mistaken interpretation mm-hmm. with especially when the and just to exactly to your point yeah. with the idea of buying committees and and buying complex enterprise yeah. b2b solutions where we think it's making it easier to buy if we help them speed up their process mm-hmm. and that's not always true no. sometimes slow purposely slowing them down because they may be pell-mell rolling through things because they're you know yeah. look we we often make the mistake of assuming that these buying committees and the you know the the assignment of buying a, an enterprise piece of technology or or whatever it is with these buying committees we often assume that they're enjoying this process <laughs> and and in most of the time they're not they yeah. they want to be through with this as fast as possible <laughs> but they also realize that it has to be successful yeah. the last thing they want is to become a subject matter expert on the thing that they're buying and so, but they know that they have to make the right decision. So they're sort of begrudgingly learning about this stuff so that they can actually feel confident that they've made the right selection. And so you slowing them down can often be the thing that they need in order to make it easier to buy, not making it faster for them to buy. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and you, 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 there's going to be things they can they they need to consider. Then then when you were saying they don't want to become subject matter experts in the product they're buying, they also don't want to become subject matter experts in buying enterprise <laughs> software, right? So you've been on this thing more often than anybody else. So there may be things they need to consider. They just slow down a little bit and think about you know what it is they actually need from this or how the process of the acquisition of the acquisition of the software should work as it were what's well, a great point right we assume yeah. as well that the other that's it's such a great yeah. point which is we assume you know in b2b marketing and sales and this yeah. is a sales challenge more than maybe a marketing challenge but mm. i would argue it's probably both that yeah. we assume they're good at it right yeah. yeah you know we we assume that you know this buying committee you know is uh, a a you know either experts in the technology or experts in the process or experts yeah. in the topic and we also assume by the way that they're good at buying things right mm-hmm. that you know <laughs> that this isn't their first rodeo when in fact it may very well be their first rodeo yeah. it may be the first time this crew has ever worked together to buy something like this before yeah yeah absolutely well, it's a great thought and um i love um i love it when you take me back to my early years in when i was in pre-sale so that, that was that was fun and uh, is have you um uh, have you written about this anywhere perhaps <laughs> you're so kind to ask yes i have indeed at contentmarketinginstitute.com uh, mm-hmm. you will find an article that uh, talks about this where i've talked about this before but of course you can always get other things that we talk mm-hmm. about in this on this topic in this vein at our website at contentadvisory.net splendid and when people spin the dial on the interweb where they're going to find you robert 
LinkedIn is my yeah. favorite these days. Yeah. And, um, and I would also mention our little Experience Advisors yes. uh, community, which you can find at experienceadvisors.io. Um, we're having tons of fun there. We just did our first navigation session this last week in, of 2023 and talked about B2B marketing. It was a wonderful session. We had Artith Albee as a guest speaker. And mm-hmm. yeah, so anybody who wants to come join our little band of misfits can come over there and join us. Splendid. And I'll include links to all those things in the show notes. Thank you very much, mate. But most important to me, will you be in the bar next week? Well, of course I will. <laughs> Splendid. Thanks, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. And if you like that topic, Robert has published an article on it in the Content Marketing Institute's blog that I'll include a link to in the show notes. So that's a wrap on episode 163 of the Rockstar CMO Everything Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Rachel and Robert for sharing their insight and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Please let us know what you think. You can contact us through our website, rockstarcmo.com, catch us on the socials, or leave a rating or review in your favourite podcast app. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff will be back in the studio. I'm excited to be chatting with author, speaker, and expert David Allison, the chat behind Value Graphics, and Robert will be back in the bar. Until then, have a great week, and I hope you can join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.